Welcome to the official podcast of the Love Times 2 Project. Change the culture and the politics will follow. Here is your host, Mike Victor. Well, hello and welcome back to the Love Times 2 Podcast. My name is Jordan Wooten. I serve on the board of the Love Times 2 Project. And I'm filling in today for our regular host, Mike Victor, uh, to have a conversation with a new friend of mine, Dan Darling. Dan is the director of the Land Center for Cultural Engagement at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. He's a best-selling author of several books, including The Original Jesus, The Characters of Christmas, The Characters of Easter, and a couple of books that are especially relevant for what he and I will discuss in a bit. And those are The Dignity Revolution and Away with Words. Dan's also the host of a popular weekly podcast called The Way Home. He's a graduate of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, a pastor and professor, a husband and father of four kiddos. And it's worth mentioning, he's a brand new resident of the state of Texas. Uh, so Dan is a lifelong Texan myself. Let me first say welcome to the great state. Uh, and of course, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for your time today. Well, thank you, Jordan, for having me. It's really an honor to, uh, to have this conversation with you. Uh, I guess before we get in the conversation, uh, I, you know, as a good Texan myself, I have to ask, uh, how are you settling in with life in, uh, you know, in the great state, in the Lone Star State? What, what, what maybe has been, I guess, the biggest surprise or the biggest adjustment for you and your family in your new, uh, your new home here? Well, we are adjusting pretty well. You know, we lived for about nine years in Nashville before we moved here. I'm originally from the Chicago area, and uh, my, but my wife is from Fort Worth, uh, so. In some ways, it's coming home for her. She hasn't lived here in about 25 years, but she was glad to be home. You know, when we first were dating like 20 years ago, a little over 20 years now, like she would always talk about Texas. And I would be like, yeah, that's great. I like my own state too, Illinois. You know, everyone loves their home state. She's like, no, you don't understand. Like, it's a thing. Like, Texas is a thing. And she would remind me, I think like the first date, she made sure I understood that, you know, the Texas flag flies at the same height as the American flag because of, you know, the agreement Texas made when they joined the union. So she loves it. And we, we've loved it here. I think the biggest adjustment is, you know, the seasons are a little different. So, you know, the summers are so hot when we got here, it was like June. It was like, it was like 106, even at like eight o'clock at night, it was 106 degrees, which was a, a new thing. But then, um, you know, now we're headed into fall and some cool weather, and it feels like there's cool weather for like four, five, six months, which is great. So just kind of adjusting seasonally, but we we like it here. We love Fort Worth. We love the DFW area. I especially love the roads here. Like I've never seen roads like they have here. Like it's unbelievable. Like ten lane highways and underground tunnels and all kinds of cool stuff. So we're enjoying it. Yeah, good, good. Uh, well, with that, I guess we can go ahead and transition to uh, to, to what I think is is really an important conversation, and, and that's the role that that words play in our work, um, mm. specifically as a pro life community and in the work that we do. And I wanted to speak with you, Dan, uh, because when I think about what it means as Christians to use our words well, whether we're speaking or writing, uh, to use them in a way that is you know truthful and charitable, I'm not aware of anyone uh, who does who does a better job of that than you do. And so, on the issue of life and abortion in particular, which it's an issue that's sort of hashed out through debate, through conversation, through argument, through words. Um, it's the sort of thing that we need to get right. So when we when we think about the topic of life and the work involved in this, quote, battle of ideas, how important are the words that we use and, and why are they important? Well, I think uh, the, the shape of our words matters in, in a number of, for a number of reasons. I think, number one, as Christians, we are um, 
uh, Christianity is a is a speaking religion, right? We we have a God who speaks. When you open up the first uh, chapter of the Bible in Genesis, we have a God who speaks the world into existence, a God who speaks to His uh, creation, to particularly to to humans. Um, the Bible says that God has spoken to us through his written word and also through uh, the revelation of Christ. Christ is the logos, the word of God. And so we, it's a speaking religion. Uh, we don't have to guess and wonder what God is thinking. Uh, we can see and read and understand because he's revealed himself to us through words. Um, also, as image bearers, one of the things that distinguishes us from the rest of creation, not the only thing by any stretch, but one of the things is the high level of communication that humans have. I mean, you know, animals communicate. I mean, your dog might bark and tell you that he's hungry or whatever, but you know, you don't see a, an elephant, you know, run for Congress or, you know, a giraffe, write a, a novel or something. You know, the, the way that humans communicate is one of the ways that we reflect God. So there's a lot in scripture about the shape of our words and, Sometimes Christians feel like, well, as long as I'm communicating, as long as I'm speaking truth, it doesn't matter how I say it. But all through scripture, we see that the people of God are not just distinguished by the way that they speak, uh, by what they speak, but by the way that they speak. Um, Whether it's the, the Proverbs and the Old Testament prophets speaking about this, even on into the New Testament where Paul and Jesus, the New Testament writers, say one of the ways that we reflect uh, the gospel is the way that we speak. So it, it matters. And I think we are in an age now where it's never been easier to communicate. Um, you can go on social media and share your feelings with the whole world. You can write a blog or a newsletter. You can start a podcast. There's, there's so many ways to do it. In many ways, that's great because it's elevated voices that maybe were not heard before. It holds the powerful accountable, but it's also, there's peril there because um, the more opportunity to communicate, the more opportunity to communicate poorly. There's, there's less of a less friction between our thoughts and our words. And so we don't always have the opportunity or we don't always take the opportunity to do like what James one nineteen says to be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to anger. So I think we have to ask ourselves, you know, what does it look like to be faithful with our words in this, in this digital age? Yeah, yeah, that's good. You, you mentioned um, uh, sort of sort of talked about the the day in which we live and and uh, the, the access to information, the ability to communicate. Um, and with that, you know, we, we we our culture in particular, it seems maybe just in the West or primarily in the West, we we live at a time and in, in, in this culture that's pretty rife with uh, with skepticism, with with cynicism, and and, and for those uh, as it relates to the issue of abortion, for those who sort of land on the pro-abortion side of this issue, uh, they're pretty well dug in with their beliefs. And, and it seems to me, at least, apart from a move of the spirit, uh, it's not all that likely that they'll be convinced of a view other than the one that they hold. But there are others, um, those within what we might call the conflicted middle, uh, those who, who, who sort of find themselves holding to beliefs, maybe on both ends of the spectrum. Uh, so maybe they believe in a woman's right to choose, but they also recognize the, the personhood of preborn babies. And so, so uh, when I think about using our words in a way that 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 affects change, it's, it's these folks who who are potentially open to being persuaded uh, in in one direction or the other. So I guess uh, am I right to believe that people, even even in a culture like ours, ours, are still willing to be persuaded? And if so, 
uh, how can those of us who are in the pro-life community use our words to persuade um, to help these folks come to see the pro-life position is, is in fact the right position? That's such a great question. I actually think now is is the is the time where we need to do the work on the most persuasion and and really think about what it means to be pro-life. I mean, this is um, you know the end of Roe is a culmination of about fifty years of of really great work uh, at all levels um, and making the case. You know, pro-lifers have introduced I think into our moral vocabulary the idea that the most vulnerable among us have dignity and worth. And even when pro-life folks are criticized. We're often criticized with our own language. You know, to to be really pro-life, you should be this or that. So I think that's a testament to the strength of the movement. But I do think now is the time when we need to not be weary in in sharing the humanity of the unborn, because um, now is when the most is at stake. You know, before Roe, we were making these arguments, and we could pass laws sort of at the margins, but there was no, there, there was not much at stake. Now there is in terms of. Um, you know, state law and federal law and those things. And and I think the temptation for us is to really just to speak um, to the choir and to to talk to people who already agree with us. And I I think it's important for us to really articulate what it what a pro life ethic is uh, for every generation and and really try to find common ground with people who are persuadable. And I think people are persuadable. Um, when you talk about the science, when, when you sort of appeal to what everybody kind of knows to be true, appealing to, um, the sense that that ultrasound image on the refrigerator, everybody knows there's a human being there. Uh, there was a, a clip, uh, on Twitter, you know, a couple weeks ago from the Today Show where they talked about fetal development in a sort of unintentional way, talk about how Babies in the womb develop their, their taste for carrots or vegetables in certain ways at early ages and, and all those things. And, you know, when we're not talking about the topic of, topic of abortion, everybody sort of understands that there's, there's human life in the womb. When we have gender reveal parties, when, we, when someone we love suffers through a miscarriage, we know we're mourning the loss of a human being. And so I think we can make these appeals to human reason and compassion. I think we can ask people, okay, it looks like we're far apart. Uh, on the legality of abortion, but let me ask you: um, Is there is there any at any sort of uh, stage where you you would think, yeah, it's probably wrong to to end the life? Can we work backward from there? Where, where do you think is the right appropriate time to put laws and all that? Um, so I think I think we could appeal to reason, appeal to science. Uh, we could say, you know, this is why I believe this because. You know, this is what Christianity teaches, that every human being is made in the image of God and its dignity and worth. I also think when we make arguments as pro-life people, understanding that the people with whom we're arguing are also image bearers. And so even as we make strong, courageous, and bold arguments, not forgetting to consider their humanity and the way that in which God may be working on their hearts and the way that uh, – how we conduct ourselves maybe um, is is as important as the uh, arguments we articulate. You know, you mentioned uh, you, you talked a bit about sort of the work that we've done over the last fifty years or so. We have uh, a strong decades, if, if really, if not centuries, 
long track record. And I say centuries long, um, uh, but because I, I just finished Marvin Olasky's excellent new book. I don't know if you've seen it yet. Uh, the story of abortion in America. Um, and it was really eye opening for me in a lot of ways, both for good and bad. But, um, we, you know, we, we do have a, a long track record of advocating for the lives of preborn children uh, uh, and their mothers in a way that is good and right and productive. Um, and we also, with that, have, have our fair share of missteps and sometimes maybe engaged in ways that are unhelpful or unkind or, or just lacking in compassion. So as you, um, I guess for those of us who are in, uh, in vocational pro-life work or for us average Joes who, who just care about the issue, as you look out over our body of work in the past decade, especially, but, but longer than that as well, um, is there one thing, one or two things that you think we should stop saying or doing as we seek to make progress in this work? Well, I, I, I do. I mean, I commend the pro-life movement in so many ways. I think it's been one of the better movements in terms of you know, in terms of taking the long view uh, and understanding that every justice movement is a is a long term movement. There's no shortcuts, particularly in a representative democracy like ours. You have to, you know, in order to change laws, you have to change hearts, and and you have to work through both of those means. And pro life movement has has really persevered just by not going away and saying we're still here and we're going to come back year after year and we're gonna we're gonna work to do this. Um, I, I do think as much as we can, we need to articulate that as pro life. Um, people that we we care about the mother and the baby as well and and i think most pro-life uh, messaging is is there that it, it sees abortion as predatory upon women i think we need to double down on that i think there's also ways in which uh, we can uh, per- perhaps advocate for and find ways that support families um family stability so that when someone brings up uh makes a decision to bring a baby into the world that she knows there's a community and support system there for her. I think reinforcing those places that have that, maybe advocating for government policies that help support the family, I think is important. I also think we have to be wise and not be cavalier about um, some of the hard situations. Now, look, it's a, it's a very small fraction of abortions that are in the, in the very difficult situations like rape, incest, and life of the mother. I think we have to be really compassionate for women in crisis and really say that we care about uh, assault on women, that we, we care about when women are, are violated and uh, we want justice to be done. We care about the life of the mother. There are, there are situations where a mother's life is in danger and it's a very complicated situation. We care about those situations. Um, I think that's important. And then I also think as pro-lifers, we need to make sure that we don't attach a very good and noble movement to un- ignoble um, people or causes, right? That we don't taint this good movement by attaching it to to other things, other uh, other things that are are less than noble. And the the way we speak, um, if I say that I'm pro life and I'm against the um, abortion, against the systematic destruction of the unborn. But if I use my tongue in ways that really dehumanize other people, I'm sort of undermining my message. Uh, if I use my tongue to dehumanize other people groups that I don't agree with, I sort of undermine the message. And so I think this really matters. Um, I think the next 50 years is going to be as difficult as the first to create a culture of life uh, in so many different ways. And so I think those are things we need to heed and we need to understand that um, – you know, there's a lot of people, confused people out there 
who really don't know what to think and what to believe. There's a lot of confused women in crisis who really need uh, a community around them to help them know that they can be mothers and they can bring their child into this world in a way that uh, will be sustainable. Uh, you mentioned uh, there uh, a couple of things that, that we should discontinue or stop. Uh, what, what about the other way around? So as you consider uh, in these next couple of questions, there'll probably be some overlap. But um, as we consider, you know, moving forward, um, what what uh, one or a couple of things do you think we should we should uh, start that might be new or fresh or, or just we haven't haven't done in a while? What 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 sort of work um, should we start doing to kind of keep the momentum uh, in, in our direction? Well, I think there's a lot of great conversations going on right now uh, um, in the pro-life movement about, um, you know, economic support for women, uh, both uh, government, but also private sector. What are ways that we can stabilize the family? And these are some of these are bipartisan conversations where even folks who don't agree with us on um, making pro-life law are saying, you know, we we share your desire to help. families to stabilize families one of the one of the biggest pressures on families right now is economic pressures and that's something that i think social conservatives are starting to actually think through uh that the way that economic pressure sort of um can undermine uh the structure of the family can undermine a family's ability to to um to flourish and so what are ways that we can do that Um, i think churches need to continue to do their good work and pregnancy resource centers, which I think are a lifeline. I'd love to see, you know, most pregnancy resource centers run on a very shoestring budget um, and doing an amazing work. And I, I would just love for more folks who have means to support these centers, to help them expand their ministry, um, more churches to get in the game. You'd think, you'd think there'd be more, uh, you know, there's so much coverage of, pregnancy resource centers. And, and even, yeah, even now they're under attack in many ways by the left. I think we need to double down on those and then find other creative ways to, to come around women and children in distress. So as we, as we start, start, start to kind of wind things down here and, and you've, you've mentioned this in a couple of spots already, but uh, you know, we can't leave a conversation on life and abortion without mentioning the recent overturn of Roe versus Wade. And, and really, I, I guess, imagining what that means for the future of our work. And so you know, we live in a post-Rose society now. That is supremely good news. Uh, but of course, that doesn't mean that our work is complete. Uh, Mike uh, Victor, the one who, uh, man who regularly hosts this podcast, he, he likes to say that we've just entered a new chapter, you know, in these efforts and the work that we're doing. So there remains a, a great deal of work left to be done. Uh, looking ahead, as, as we enter this new chapter that we're squarely in now, what, what are the major points of emphasis you, you would say that we should prioritize uh, to, to ensure that we don't lose the momentum or take any steps backward on this side of Rose overturn? Well, I think if we're not careful, um, if we're not smart and if we're not wise, we could um, we could actually we could take a step backward. And I think you're seeing this in some really blue states where uh, like California and other places who are you know, paying for abortion tourism for people to come over to uh, to California to, to have an abortion or advertising that, you know, Biden administration's thing will put out uh, guidelines to make it easier to get abortions on military bases and all these things. And uh, which, which is to be expected now that the decision is more um, to the States and, uh, and other places. Um, but I think we have to be, smart in terms of the legislation we craft too. I think every state's going to be a little bit different. 
some states are going to be um, have more opportunity to to essentially ban abortions, except for those um, difficult cases. Um, other states, uh, you know, are going to be a little bit more um, views on abortion be a little bit more mixed, uh, where you know you can, we can advocate for maybe a 15 week ban or a 12 week ban. And that's probably where, where the most consensus is in order to get that done. Um, and so I think we have to be wise and, and figure out what is the, what are the most protections we can pass at this particular, in this, at this particular state level, that's, that's actually going to get done. I think the same thing at the federal level, you know, there's not consensus in America yet that, you know, there's not a, there's not a consensus or, based on what you and I would um, believe um, in terms of life beginning con- conception, but there's broad consensus about 70% of Americans showing in multiple polls that um, mo- support restrictions after 12 weeks. Um, we did a poll at the land center. We did it with Lifeway and we found that not only is there consensus for restrictions after 12 weeks, but also um Thirty-five percent of the country believe life begins at conception, and another twenty or so percentage believe life begins at the first breath. So that's that's majority that believes that in the womb, at early, the earliest stages, there's life there. So I think we we, we got to figure out where's the consensus, what can we get done, and then work to persuade people so that we can continue to move the ball down the field. I, I think of William Wilberforce and his fight to end the British slave trade. He knew and he understood it's a lifelong justice movement. And it wasn't until the end of his life till he saw the end of the British slave trade. And I think we have to take that long view as well. I think as well leaves us, you know, leaves us with a lot to consider as we as we sort of think about this next chapter um, and our place in it and our, the way that we contribute to, to the work. Um, Dan, before before we get out of here, uh, tell us a bit about your work at the Land Center. Well, I'm I'm the director of the Land Center for Cultural Engagement uh, here at uh, Southwestern Seminary and Texas Baptist College, and Really, there's a number of things we do. We offer a faith and culture concentration at the college. So if you really want to come and learn about what does it look like to to do public policy or to do public theology or to think about the church and the culture and all those kinds of things, um, you know, we'd love for you to do that. But we also uh, have a fellows program. We host a number of events. We have a lecture series every year. This year we have uh, Ben Mitchell, who's a renowned bioethicist, who's coming to talk about the human person. We have plenty of content. Uh, on our website, we are constantly doing research and we host a number of events. So we'd love for folks to check it out. It's at uh, landcenter.org is the website. Right. Yeah, I can attest that uh, that, that you guys uh, I've tuned in several of, of your offerings and you guys are pumping out great resources. So uh, from me to you, I'm, I'm grateful for the work that you do um, for you personally. Um, do, do you have anything in the hopper? What projects are, are you working on that we can be on the lookout for? Yeah, I have I have a number of projects. So I just uh, have a book that's releasing here in October, a children's book uh, that uh, is with a friend of mine on human dignity. It's called The Biggest Best Light. It's a, a board book for kids, really helping them understand the Imago Dei. Um, and then in in next May, I have a book coming out with Zondervan um, called uh, Agents of Grace. It's really about uh, Christian unity. Uh, Christians should love each other in a very polarizing times. What it looks like, what what are the important things worth fighting for and fighting over 
And what are the things, what are the areas where we can agree to disagree? How do we love each other as brothers and sisters? I'm really troubled by the way that Christians are so quick to savage each other online or in person and how tribal we've become. And so hopefully that will, uh, you know, have a, have a, make a difference in that way. How can we be praying for you and your team and, and the work that you guys are up to over there? Well, if you could just pray uh, for us as we tra- try to train the next generation of, of pastors and leaders and, and marketplace leaders and just pray that we can kind of help host some of these conversations where we can have very, very tough conversations where people can have strong convictions, but also learn how to live side by side with people with whom they disagree. I, I think that's really important in this age. For for uh, listeners who are online, uh, what's the best way for you've mentioned the, the Lancer website? Uh, are you on social? What, your social channels? What, what's the best way for folks to follow your work and, and keep up? With you? Well, you, you can check out my website at DanielDarling.com. You can check me out at, on Twitter. I'm pretty active on Twitter at Dan Darling um, on Facebook and, and other places as well. I also have a newsletter called One Little Word. But if you go to my website, you can figure out how to sign up for that. Well, Dan, thanks again for your time today. I Listen, I know how busy you are. I know you are a coveted podcast guest. I know you've got a full schedule. And so I'm, I'm grateful that you set aside some time to chat here. Uh, I've enjoyed it. I think it's been a helpful conversation. So thank you. Honor to, honor to be with you. And to those tuning in, uh, thank you for listening. If you're interested in supporting the Love Times 2 project financially, you can do that at our website, lovetimes2.org. That's L-O-V-E-X and the number 2.org. We are uh, we're grateful for your prayers. We're grateful for your financial support. And it's that support that helps us continue our work of changing hearts and minds for Christ. Because we believe that when we change hearts and minds, we can change the culture. And when we change the culture, the politics will follow. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the official podcast of the Love Times 2 Project. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And never forget, change the culture and the politics will follow.